0: Please
1: Everyone, uh, this is uh, Tulsa Music Stream, episode 62. Yes, and uh, we are going to be with Anthony Quarter from Torah Tora here shortly.
2: Yes, we are.
1: We already have him on Zoom, and uh, hopefully, uh, my mic is not cutting out.
2: Can uh, I think it sounds better now. It was a little, little off there at first, but I think we got you going. Two one. Yeah, you got a, got a little man. Oh, right, go ahead. Isn't that just typical? That's the typical technical difficulties right off the bat. There we go. go ahead. It's okay. It's okay. No problem, Scott. You do your thing. Anthony is is one of the rare guests. We have two in a row now that have shown up early to his interview. This is very rare for musicians. It's a it's a special talent. Uh, when these guys show up early, it, it shows his professionalism right off the bat. So Anthony, we want to thank you for joining us here on Tulsa music stream tonight. Um, it looks like you guys just played the Beale street music festival back in May. Have you guys done a lot of shows this summer?
3: Man, we have it. We, uh, we've only done about three or four shows this year, but man, Beale street's one of our favorites. Um, we love being there. Uh, the lineup was incredible. Um, it's always fun to play at home we sure. always tell everybody if you've never had a chance to to catch us in our hometown it's uh you know it's a pretty special uh experience uh those guys launched us and uh it's like a family kind of when i look at the audience like mm-hmm. everybody in that audience i think i've stayed out half the night with most of those people in wow. high school uh so it's a really unique experience they were the whole reason that um we got started like getting our songs on the radio. They requested our songs there, you know, when that was one of our only outlets, and MTV was one of our outlets back then. And they physically, you know, called in to, you know, help us launch the single and stuff um, when the first record was coming out. Right. And uh, this time doing Bill Street uh, Music Festival it was really awesome. I don't know if anybody watching or listening has ever been. Uh, most of the time, it's it's uh, runs parallel along the the banks of the Mississippi River uh, right. in Tom park and there's kind of like three stages kind of lined up you know back to back with the crowds kind of going through it mm-hmm. and they were doing construction this year so they moved it up into uh the fairgrounds up next to our hometown mid-south coliseum where we saw all the bands and we saw the concerts acdc and everybody Right. And anyway, we're playing in this park and it was one of our first gigs. We literally were standing on stage and we were looking across the field. We go, That's what we were playing when we were like in high school. We wow. played this
2: That's so cool, man. <laughs> then
3: we played the, the South fair and uh it was just kind of a it was kind of like a full circle moment for a second for all of us. We walked out, uh, but it was really fun. Uh there was a bunch of bands on it. Rival Sons was there. I'm really a huge fan of that singer, yes. Jake Buchanan. He was amazing. Uh, the um, Stone Temple Pilots guys were there, Smashing Pumpkins. Wow. Uh, and there was one yeah. other band, I'm missing a guy. He was on Big Machine Records. I can't think of it. He's from Seattle, but he was freaking awesome. We, mm. we actually shared a dressing room with him. Excuse me, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. But anyway, the whole day was awesome. And uh, man, the Rival signs were just really inspiring. I don't know if any of your listeners or people watching have checked them out. But oh, man, yeah. that oh, guy, definitely. he's yes. incredible on stage. Um, he just, uh, you know, they're kind of a groove band True. and, you know, kind of down, 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 you know, just right. kind of jamming out. And in one part of their set, man, he grabbed an acoustic guitar. He wasn't even like strumming it. He was just kind of plucking on the strings. But there was thousands of people standing there, man. And mm. it took your breath away. I mean, everybody just went, wow. and he just sat there until he got through the song. And then when he finished, everybody just went, ah. I mean, oh. they just went, you know, and I mean, it was one of those things where you go, man, he could do anything you wanted to. The, the audience was, it, just in the palm of his hand he was he was awesome i can't That's say nothing so cool. i get inspired by singers um uh, that you know that move you man your emotions and stuff and he's definitely got that he's he's, he's pretty amazing and he's yeah. a super nice dude that was one of my favorite things i got to talk to him uh right. he had lived here in nashville uh the my band is based in memphis i've been right. in Nashville for a really long time but uh and he actually lived here uh, and so we got to talk for a second. So that, and he was super down to earth, and that always makes it really cool you bet, when you meet it, yes. somebody you know that you're inspired by and they're real down to earth. So yeah, absolutely, was
2: awesome. absolutely. Go but ahead, Scott.
3: Yeah, well, the, music fest was amazing. We we love working with them. It had been um, 2018 was the last time we would played there, uh, and the people that run it, uh, uh, Mr. Holt, uh, that's been there for a long time. Uh, they let us uh, join it this year, so it was it was pretty amazing. It was really
2: that's, fun. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Go ahead, Scott.
1: Now. You know, speaking of like music festivals, I believe uh, Rocklahoma in two thousand eight was one of the festivals that kind of sparked your guys's uh, reunion thing. Mm-hmm. You know, when you guys were kind of out of it for a while, then you guys you reunited and everything. How, how close was Rocklahoma, one of your uh, first festivals of coming back?
3: Man, it was amazing. Uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, it's pretty incredible for us like to have been friends for as long as we've been and to be able to be making music together. We met each other in high school. Um, you know, started out as a little garage band and uh, we've kind of all stepped, uh, step back away from, uh, our band activities and stuff because of our families and stuff at different times. Sure. Um, and we've always understood that we're kind of a family first kind of mentality. And, yes. um, but we took a big break for a while and then we did a hometown uh a show in memphis uh at a place called newbies it was on the strip, highland strip right there by the university of memphis mm-hmm. and it was just so fun and we had an opportunity to go and do rocklahoma uh, we had gotten together we were getting together to do that reunion show thing to kind of celebrate some time together and uh man it was so cool it was it was really amazing to see a bunch of fans out there that They were sporting our t-shirts, you know, repping us there. They came back and talked to us about our music and stuff. And, um, you know, it's just incredible The music's really super powerful. We're inspired by all the people that we get to meet, man. I mean, everybody that we meet, um, we think about them when we're working on records and, and, um, the stories that we have, the crazy, (laughs) you know, adventures that we get tangled (laughs) up in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was just so cool, man. It was, I was really nervous. Um, that day we played early in the day it was super hot and my voice feels really rested you know we haven't been like road dogs for a long time so (laughs) i was wondering how it was going to perform and all that kind of stuff and um and just being up in front of everybody Uh, but it was really fun everybody's really nice about it and they you know allowed us the opportunity to come out and try to do that we got to see kicks and a bunch of bands that we're fans of out there now
1: i I believe that um it didn't storm
2: i yes. think it did were you Man, guys caught y'all. up in that that was an awful storm
3: it was so crazy we went you know we were in temporary trailers in the back you know for the dressing rooms and stuff and we went we left uh our uh dressing room to go do some radio interviews and stuff mm-hmm. and while we were there we went in and we split off into groups you know like the bass player and i went in one room and the guitar player and drummer went another room And we were sitting there we kind of noticed when we were on stage, you could kind of look out over the audience, and I mean, it's flat. It was in, like, prior <laughs> Oklahoma. You could look way off, and in the distance, it, there was this dark cloud, man, like, kind of an ominous-looking thing, but it was moving really slow, you know? Yeah. And so I guess we got, you know, to visiting and everything backstage, and we weren't really thinking about it, but we went to the that other trailer, and all of a sudden, the lighting from outside the daylight changed. It kind of got dark, you know? Mm-hmm. And we said, whoa, that's, that's kind of different. And the next thing I knew, man... <laughs> i'm not kidding they the rain was rushing by the window it looked like the, the trailer was moving it was like you're driving down the road the rain was going i kind of stood up and i looked out the window and there was a bmw sitting out there parked next to the trailer and there was about you know three inches or four inches of water was on the ground like right as the rain started and we we're like yeah. oh my god and then we kind of looked at each other and we go oh my god this is how it happens man we're sitting in the trailer in the middle of a field that is just like yeah. going to be Tornado Alley or something. Yeah, yeah it knocked um, over it did, a bunch it, of stages. It, yeah, yeah, it, yeah it blew in. I think only one stage got uh, got blown over, and uh, thank goodness nobody was uh, severely injured. I know a guy, I think a guy uh, hurt his arm. I think he might have broke his
0: arm. Yeah, yeah we were
1: there in the beer tent there in the back and, and yeah, watched we it all there. unfold. We, like, we, saw it. we got to see your set and everything, and I think it was Trickster, and it started coming really down on them and then they went yeah. ahead and did their last song or whatever and then got the hell out of there and then <laughs> yeah. i mean we were hanging on like the the tent poles and i was like i don't know if this is a good
4: idea
2: <laughs> yeah grabbing metal yeah. in the middle of an electrical storm that's brilliant that's makes for good but rock and
4: roll there, stories oh though. my god
3: it well, is it is true and man there was a lot of when we were coming back there was water rushing across the ground and there was like you know cords laying everywhere and right. so you're like man this is kind of crazy looking but you know right. yeah nobody sure. got hurt and it seemed like the beer town was really happy we actually ended up back in there with you guys i think so
2: yeah yeah, yeah. hey so, let's go l- one, let me ask the next yeah, one if you don't mind. i want to talk a little bit about you guys' recent songs because you all are really putting out some very quality material you sound great the band sounds great for example go where the love is uh, little girl blue and trip the light fantastic i love that song Talk about think, yeah, absolutely. Is you guys' plan to just kind of keep releasing singles for now, or are you all working on another new full album?
3: Man, you yeah, know that's that's a great question. We've um, we actually got in that single mentality based off the previous recording sessions that we did. We did um, we released this record, um, the Bastards of Bill on yes. Frontier, uh, which was a great. Uh, was a great process, but we recorded that record basically live. Uh, I mean, really? it was, we were on a really limited budget financially and time-wise. And so when we got a chance to go back in the studio this time, we said, hey man, you know, we want to have time to kind of work on this stuff. John was amazing on the, the Bachelor of the Bill record because uh, there was a lot of pressure on him just because we were there for a couple of days to get all the basic tracks together. Right. And uh, so we thought about it this time and y'all, it was crazy. Uh, we were thinking, like everybody was, we kind of cruised out of 2019. We flew out and uh, worked with Wolf Pat Productions, Anthony Lucero, and then we were out in Denver and played a show. And it was it was on Valentine's Day, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, we were scheduled to be in the studio in March mm-hmm. uh, to, to go for some follow up recordings to Bastards of Bill. And I just said, hey, you know, we were at the airport. I remember talking to the band, hey, I'll see you in a month. We're, you know, cool. We're going to take a break. I'll see you in a minute. And um, like everybody, you know we remember around the middle of march like the 16th or something the whole world hits the pause button you know and it was funny when i first talked to the band um i said hey man it'll blow over and we'll be back together in a couple weeks <laughs> and like everybody was kind of panicking and trying to figure out what was going on but we know you know a month later it was a whole different situation than it was at the beginning of march it became mm-hmm. something much more serious and um but it took us about 14 months, like, like everybody else, uh, to see each other. We actually went back to Memphis in, um, 2021. It was on my birthday. I went down to Memphis and we, we met back up and, um, it was the first time to see the band in person, which was pretty crazy from back in uh, February of 2020. So that was, you know, that was a big deal. And we, uh, you know, we didn't even set up in the studio, man. We Our mic up in the studio, we drug our equipment in and turned our amps on like, right away and just wanted to sing and play wow. and, you know, jam. Yeah. And so, uh, but we got in there and so we recorded about 12 uh, basic tracks to things and we, we were talking about it and we said, man, you know what? We want to give John time to, you know, experiment with his drums and change mm-hmm. his tune-ins on his snare and all that kind of stuff. And we said, man, let's just don't be in a, a rush with it. Right. So we got the the basic things together and then we said, you know what? We talked about Bastards of Bill. We let out um, Rosa Jericho was a preview release. We let out Silence the Sirens and did a lyric video for that. And then we let out Son of a Prodigal Son. And but we were wondering. We said, Did anybody hear any of the rest of the record? Did anybody right. even listen to like you know Lights Up the River or or uh, Let Us Be One? Some of these other tracks that we had worked on. And we said, well, Why don't we just let out some? one at a time this time sure. and just kind of let them live with it if they or if they're digging it we'll kind of let it float around out there for a little while and mm-hmm. follow up and i i you know from a music industry standpoint depending on your genre or whatever the consistency of getting stuff out is you know to keep your audience engaged is yes. is, is kind of different depending on who you are but we've noticed kind of in the rock world like tesla's done it some where they're just kind of letting the single out at a time mm-hmm. that i think it gives people time to listen through and um uh, you know it's not a yeah, bad but, formula hey
4: listen it's not a bad formula the Beatles released a, sing, a couple singles and then an album and then a couple singles and then an album so that's yeah. not, it's not a bad formula
3: yeah and we're having fun I mean I think eventually you know what you were asking sorry to do the roundabout You're answer fine. but it was kind of like we're thinking it, it'll eventually you know build in this to a project for sure um, mm-hmm. it's kind of those were kind of a snapshot of where we were at the time but we've been having such a good time you know Keith and I were talking and we're still excited about working with each other and being creative. Even after all the, the time that we've been together, we still genuinely just enjoy getting together and playing and stuff. And and Keith and I kind of stayed in touch during COVID. We were trading ideas. yeah. And uh, we're in some crazy tune-ins and all that kind of stuff, kind of laughing. <laughs> uh, but we're kind of more, we want to be in the room with each other. So mm-hmm. And that's why we kind of held off from doing, uh, during COVID, we did, uh, we let this project out, this uh, unplug.
2: Oh, yes, re- yeah, this,
3: yes. Uh, cool live concert in memphis at a room called uh, lafayette's and we had a really dear friend of ours uh, jim green he was a, a local promoter and uh, we've known him since we were kids i started singing and he started promoting shows when he was about 18 and he was down in uh, mississippi or down near the uh, old miss campus and stuff doing shows and he built his way all the way up as a, a promoter to run in uh, the bank plus amphitheater is what it was called mm-hmm uh previously uh and it was a huge venue he had two of them one in uh, south haven mississippi right outside of memphis and one over in little rock arkansas and so we worked with jim uh, every year uh we we bumped into each other i guess in the early 2000 teens and he started talking to us he would he would see shows in the pipeline coming like White Snake or Leonard Skinner or it would be some show and he'd go, Hey, you want to come down here and it'll be a good payday and you'll get a, it'll be a killer audience. You want to wow. come down here. And so we were working together once or twice a year. We had a, a, a good going home kind of gig and mm-hmm. tried to make it something special for everybody. And so he talked to us about that unplugged show. He said, man, I got an idea. He goes, I want y'all to do unplug. I got a venue picked out and he goes, it's going to be really intimate. And he goes, my only r- request is that you record it. And, mm-hmm. It was you know kind of a big discussion for the band uh right. keith our guitar player doesn't want to do acoustic stuff he wants to be through his amp through his rig and be <laughs> right. cranked up and like crunchy and
0: sure but
3: we got to talking about it we were kind of trying to persuade him and we said man this would be fun we could do some deep dives we could go do some songs that we normally don't put in the set right and man i just gotta you know tip my hat to him not just because i'm you know they're my brothers and i being biased or whatever but they really worked on the arrangements and stuff Mm -hmm. and we had Mm -hmm. such a cool experience it was so fun i was so glad that we recorded it i wish we would have videoed it we didn't nobody was thinking about that at the time we were just kind of working on the material and stuff
0: right and we had a
3: really good friend that was going to do the recording into pro tools or whatever for live and um but anyway it was so fun uh, we had a bunch of people there and it was kind of like what i was telling you at the beginning I, when i looked out at it, that audience because that was such a small room and such an intimate thing i mean i literally i was looking at people that i played high school football with you know wow. when i was a freshman in high school we've been friends cool. that long. yeah and we they had big tables full of people and they had traveled with us you know some of those guys had traveled around the country you know moved around for different uh, uh geographic areas for their work or whatever and they always would come see us and so to have all those guys there and to be, they were there for like the VIP experience and all that stuff. We got to you know, tell a bunch of bad stories on each other and uh, do some hanging out, but it was really fun, and uh, we, ha- we have uh, five songs I think on this Unplugged EP, and then we have some other stuff in the can. Uh, we let out a song called Everbright that didn't make it onto the press vinyl. We did that over the summer to just kind of keep people updated on some of the stuff that we were working on, and so we got a couple more of those that are kind of around that will eventually see the light of day, but Yeah, it's it's a different approach, man. It's it's a different world, you know. Nowadays, uh, the music industry, the the, with technology and the resources that are available now, and the amount of noise that's everywhere, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean just we're overstimulated with so many things and so many options and stuff. We're just hoping people would latch on to some of these songs. You know, Uh, the Trip to Light Fantastic was one that Keith and I kind of started talking about and uh, started working on early and we said you know what we we're close on this one why don't we just go ahead and work this one up and finish it and so far what we've been doing is kind of we've been trying to stay about two songs ahead mm-hmm. where we're working on this stuff and then while we're working on it we're getting the other ones mixed and mastered and dropping those out and we've got a new one coming out really soon i think you guys are going to freak out it's really <laughs> different it's not something that we've done before um like uh instrumental wise and um I think it's gonna be really fun. Keith's done some really interesting guitar stuff on it. We're just having fun, man. Still being creative. True. You know, we're that's trying cool. To stuff now together, we're still passionate about it, man. I'm still crazy, as crazy about being creative as I was, you know, when I first started playing guitar and stuff. When I was wow. first, you know, learning chords and stuff. I'm, I'm finding myself. I think that part of you, whatever that creative thing is it gets stronger as you get older Mm -hmm. uh and I I think it's like something that you don't take for granted you know we're all like I said before we all have other commitments and things going on in our life and stuff but that has been like a mainstay for each one of us we've all been creative in other capacities outside of of Torah Torah and you know just being totally candid with everybody on here man I've had points in my life where I just said hey I think I'm gonna just turn this off and kind of you know take a break for a minute and you can't you know it's like kind of just part of who you are if you start doing that you kind of realize man this is something it's kind of like an outlet Uh,
0: so are
1: you guys having to like conflict of how many new songs you're adding to your set list as opposed with all you know all of your ones that come off your you know your first album your second album and (laughs) yeah
3: you know they're all like kind of little babies like I know, people tell you that all the time. That you're kind of fighting for your children to make it into the, you know, the process or whatever. Whether it's, sure. it's going on the project or it's going to be on the live thing, I think a lot of hours lately have had to do with those tune-ins I'm talking about. If, mm-hmm. if we're doing fly dates and stuff like that, Keith will have a couple of guitars with him. You know, one main guitar and kind of a backup. But we haven't really got super adventurous on the yeah. the uh, crazy open tune-ins and all that. We would probably do some of that stuff at the home show. Where he could bring you know extra gear and stuff, or if we're traveling with with a um, you know equipment trucks and stuff to go to the venues. Uh, so That's he,
4: he has what he's comfortable with. Yeah. It's yeah, just,
3: it's fun, man. We we found some really interesting ones through the years, man. I've had uh, different friends of mine. I was laughing one time in Memphis. I, I was hanging at a, a little bar in Midtown, and it was some of my favorite musicians, some of my favorite writers, super to dudes that I looked up to. And we were kind of you know having a cocktail or something. And it was kind of late. And we were talking, and we said, hey, man, you know, do you ever feel like, or at least I did, I said, do you just feel like you're writing the same song over and over sometimes, you know, or whatever? (laughs) And everybody kind of laughed, and they said, man, that's your style. I mean, you're going to kind of, you're going to be hanging in those certain areas with your voice, where it is and all that stuff, and and the chord progressions and all that. But this one friend of mine said, hand me that napkin over there, and he wrote out, you know, like an open tune-in. And he said, go home and tune your guitar to this, and then talk to me next time you see me." Wow. And... It was true. I went home. I did it. It was like an open D tuning or something, and I went home. Uh, I realized the one he was talking about was one that Keith had used on a on one of our recordings on Dead Man's Hand uh, on the Wild America record. Uh, we had written with a guy named Stan Lynch, and so we, we had used that one before, but I didn't have it on my my acoustics at the house, but anyway, once I put it in that tuning, I never took it out. I mean, I one's behind me I, i've still got one it stays in that one all the time
2: i'm just curious uh, can you tell me real quick what that tuning is we, we play so i'm I'm curious now
3: it's like a dad gad, i think is what people okay. call it okay uh it's um dad it's dad. just yeah it's just kind of and it's and i kind of move some of the strings like a half step or a step up depending on like what kind of melodies and stuff you're working on but it's just cool I mean we're still kind of all dealing with within the same parameters but it just the the harmonics of everything kind of rings different the melodies Mm -hmm. and stuff it takes you somewhere uh, that sounds a little bit different Uh, and it's fun you know that's it's still that part of it makes it still exciting and stuff trying figuring out new ways to express yourself and everything I mean I'm just I I love it man but yeah man talking about the set and stuff it is hard because your latest stuff yeah, just as a songwriter in general, you're always most excited about the last one. You're like, man, i have used every you know little trick and tool that I've got. Now I've got this one. This is like the best thing I've ever done, and mm-hmm. uh, and so you're kind of wanting those to make it in there. Uh, but uh, we've done quite a few. Man, on the Bastards of Bill record, we we pulled in. Uh, you know, Son of a Prodigal Son was one of the the one with the video, so we did that one a lot. Right. We did Giants Fall. We used to open with that one a little bit because that's a really fun one to. It's comfortable and we can kind of all get, you know, at ease uh, using that one. Uh, but it's funny, man, you kind of get in these routines with your sets and stuff. And for the audience's stuff, you want to keep it exciting. You want to kind of change it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But you also know that a lot of people are there to hear this specific, you know, song, whether it's nostalgia or some memory hmm. or
1: whatever I'm, I'm, it is. I'm actually, um, what anniversary is Surprise Attack? Uh, are you at now with that? What, what this year did would that come?
3: probably be the 30th it was oh. 92 yeah oh my gosh we're so, super proud of that record y'all so yes. if it's the 30th
1: anniversary i'm sure you guys are you know having to throw in a lot of those uh of course your your hits and stuff and i love the the, the first track it and it loves a bitch uh, great track mm-hmm. the whole album is just i mean the album cover is mm-hmm. just phenomenal yeah. everything about that album is just right there with with all the greats you know of, of that era i agree who who made oh thank you man. who did the well, album man, cover for that anyway
3: that was through uh, the creative department at a&m okay. um that i and y'all are gonna have to forgive me i'm drawing a blank on the guy's name um but we worked with them um we worked on that first record for about a year, I think. We signed a, a a record deal, and then we recorded probably, I don't know, 60 songs for that first record. Wow. We were writing, oh, and writing and writing. And uh, Walking Shoes was one of the very last. I mean, Love's a Bitch, that you mentioned, went on the EP that we had out in Memphis. It was one of the first songs we ever wrote. And it's kind of always <laughs> hung around <laughs> and stayed with us. Uh, and it's always in the set. Um, but, yeah, Surprise Attack was – it was crazy, man. It was like our first – uh, experience was, it was uh, overwhelming in a way—not not in a bad way. It was just we were so excited the potential of everything, and just being in there with the people we were working with. We were working with a guy named Paul Eversole. He was the guy that had helped us with our EP, and he actually had. There's a studio in Memphis called Ardent Studios. I don't know if your people watching or your listeners know about Ardent Studios, but if you don't know about it, go look it up. There was a guy named John Fry that ran the studio. And he was an amazing person, man. He started the studio, like, in his grandmother's sewing room and in his garage at his house. And then uh, he was in high school, you know. And then he moved over to National Street in in Memphis. Mm-hmm. And he was very smart. What he did is, at the time, uh, Stax was blowing up. And I don't know if your listeners know about Stax soul music. But they were the biggest black-owned business in the United States at the time. They were battling with, it was them in Motown. So you had Detroit and, and, you know, soul music going on. And then you had the South with Otis Redding and Wilson Pickett and all those dudes. So they were kind of battling out. And what John did, he was really savvy, man. He bought the same recording equipment that Stax had. And he was this little young, you know, teenage dude. And, uh, and he put this equipment in. So he got the overflow from Stax. So he was having these really mm-hmm. successful producers come over and he was showing these little kids, these little, you know, suburban <laughs> little white dudes, hey, this is how I got the guitar sound on that Otis Redding song. This is how we mic the drums. Wow. This is the way we did everything. So he was learning and he was all about, he was kind of like, John Fry is the guy's name, y'all can look him up, but he was kind of like a, a father figure to our band. He uh, recently passed,
1: long, right? He or- did.
3: He passed away in a back, it's been quite a couple of years now. It was around yeah. 2014, 2015. Uh, okay. I think it was December. It was right around his birthday in twenty. In 20- <laughs> But every decision I'd ever made in my life since I was about 16, I talked to John. He was kind of, we had a a relationship with them where um, they had shopped us to the record labels and stuff. So he was always part of my, uh, my business as an artist and things kind of shifted, man. As I got older, Mm -hmm. um, our relationship changed because I shifted gears. I went over into the music business, the entertainment business and worked for record labels. And I worked in music publishing and I, would turn into a professor which is really crazy because i left high school um <laughs> and so but every decision i ever made uh from the time i was about 16 until he passed away those few years back i always talked to him no matter how busy he was or what fires he was putting out he would take 10 minutes and go okay what are you doing and i'm like i'm doing something really crazy <laughs> you know right i need to talk to somebody to have to you know bounce it off of and, and he always played you know devil's advocate with me. He would talk to me about the steps I was taking and about how it was gonna help my profile, you know, my professional profile and sure. how I could contribute to things. And so he was just, I can't say enough great things about him. We had a really special relationship. Uh, he actually wrote a letter of recommendation for me to go to college after my stint with Tora Torah. The record deal was over and I'd been doing some independent singer songwriter stuff. I decided to go get my education, and he wrote a letter. He was one of the reasons that I got accepted into college, so that was huge. Uh, he and another guy, uh, Richard Sanders, who was my first manager, um, wrote letters based on my life experience in the music industry to get me into college. So, I'm I'm indebted to those guys, um, and we had such great experiences, man. I mean, we had some of the funniest stories together, and. Mm-hmm. If we were not on the road, I mean, and we stayed on the road for about six years. We didn't, we told A&M, we said, we don't want to go home. We'll play every freaking hockey tonk or Joe's <laughs> right. barbecue pack or whatever. We don't want to go home. Did you, uh, did
1: you learn any, I mean, after you, you know, learned the bit, the music business, did you ever think back about some of the decisions that you made, you know, when you, before you, before you knew every, you know, the things about the business and go, man, damn, I sure wish I would have had this knowledge back then when I was a little <laughs> yes, bit younger. Man.
3: Man, absolutely. I mean, I did a lot of retrospect. Uh, in my mind, I was doing replays you know of our career because you know, when we were young and doing that stuff, we just went on tour and everything was organized for you. I didn't know there was all these strategy meetings at the you know corporate record label with meetings to have meetings about you know your scheduling and your promotional activities and marketing and all that kind of stuff we just showed up with itineraries and uh and followed along and we wanted to make sure you know most of the time when we were in a town we were there less than 24 hours so we had to go and promote and shake as many hands and hug everybody and party and uh, we didn't miss much on the party but we really wanted to just make the most out of the the time that we were there with the people that was the most important thing to us and um so when I got into the the corporate side of it, it was, it was really nuts. And the the really crazy part is, I switched genres when I went into the corporate world. I went from uh, the heavy metal world. I was working at a country label here in in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a corporate training program that I I got in, uh, invited to join it, and they picked ten people worldwide, and you learn operations at a record label. So every division from scheduling and promotion and marketing and digital media and every aspect of it the publishing side and all that stuff so and i got to spend time in each one of those areas so when you were saying you know did you do retrospect i was like oh my god man now <laughs> i understand why all these all this paperwork was shooting around everybody and true. at
0: true.
3: the very beginning you know it was kind of like somebody like put a dot on the wall you know and they go this is you and this is everybody else is going to be digging in your pocket <laughs> we're like cool man let's
2: <laughs> go make these that's so and true
3: you don't think about the ripple effect you know that they The how it's going to affect you after that kind of knee-jerk reaction kind of thing, but I mean, we everything about it. I don't really feel jaded. I mean, when you said, "Are there some things maybe the y'all would have done different?" You know, definitely there's things about how you negotiated and all that stuff. But Mm -hmm. you know, as up and coming emerging artists and stuff, sometimes you don't have a lot of leverage, you know, to use that. So it's you don't have to take the deal, but it may not. (laughs) be the greatest deal that you've ever had in your life so you and a lot to of times you out. just
4: you want to go somewhere so you're just like you're young and you want to just go yeah we'll do that yep we'll <laughs> yeah. do this exactly yes yeah. yeah. just
3: think you know like what am i going to have to give up to get what i want And sure. like, like, you know, maybe some kind of trade out of here but uh man listen our experience with a&m records was amazing i'm not kidding so i'm still friends with a lot of those people that are still uh um, in the industry are retired that were around when we were there. Uh, they were like a, an independent label. They were very successful and they had some of the best staff. I'm not kidding. Our promotion mm-hmm. people, they were totally crazy. I know all the promotion people were nuts, <laughs> but we just got really close to them because we told A&M the very first time that we left Memphis, the first place we went was New York. and we had never traveled. We we got signed in Memphis. We never left Memphis before. So, and they literally flew and got in a car with us. They said, I just want to see your face the first time that you see the skyline <laughs>
0: wow. of New
3: York. And, uh, it was amazing. It was so awesome. And we had such a good time. It was a lot of work, but we were just so excited. We just mm-hmm. said, man, we'll do whatever. We'll drive wherever we don't care. We'll just get in here. I mean, we literally got in a van and drove straight to New York. I don't think we stopped or whatever. We were just like, Stop to fill up with gas and we'll go to the bathroom and get something to eat. But it and had to be so
4: exciting. I mean, you know, it
3: was man. And we took three of our best friends were our crew guys. So there was four dudes in the band, wow. uh, and we're all high school buddies. And then we had three of our best friends when is as our crew. So there were seven of us. We we're in a fifteen-pasture band, and we were like a group of Vikings. We were just like yeah. we're ready to go conquer. <laughs> man. And
4: like, yeah. yeah. So you, know, you,
1: you put out Phantom <laughs> Rider. And it was like one of the first uh, songs on the radio, and then. Uh, of course, you you know, you had guilty walking shoes and yeah, you know.
3: yeah, man, I'm telling you, Phantom Rider is so crazy, man. Uh, I'm still friends. There's a guy named Thomas Howard. I talk about him. I do these uh, Sunday sunset sessions and I play acoustic, um, started during uh, the COVID thing, but I was talking about him on there. Um, he and I wrote Phantom Rider together. Uh, he was, he lived in my neighborhood. We weren't really, uh, we didn't go to school together or anything. But he used to walk his dog every night. About Mm -hmm. 10 o'clock, he had this dog, Fred. I I can't remember what kind of dog it was, but it was kind of a little black dog. And he would walk it up the street, you know. And I kicked the screen out of my window. I lived in kind of this little ranch-level house with my family. And I kicked the screen out. So when he'd come by, I'd lift my window up, and I'd go out. And we would just sit in my driveway and, like, stare at the stars. And we would talk about you know and mm-hmm. we were talking he was into really progressive stuff like yes and rush and all that and i was kind of like zeppelin and janice chocolate and all that because so we kind of butted heads we were kind of you know messing with each other but we would sit out there we'd smoke a cigarette stare at the sky and we were talking about music and he was just really great with lyrics man he had just stacks of poetry and stuff in his room he was a really great bass player but we had the music i mm-hmm. i had the i remember that chord that opening chord of and i was just sitting on the edge of my bed like i wonder what this is gonna be i wonder what it's gonna say i wonder it and thomas and i got to working on it and it was just crazy man that song took off it became like a top five requested song in memphis we didn't even have a record deal we had a little ep out nice and our guitar player um he was always really kind of entrepreneurial mindset he went out and put our tapes out on consignment back when there used to be physical record stores and stuff he said can i leave these by your register and just see if anybody is interested and I mean I'd be darn it we didn't we sold all of them I mean we stuck That's them my cool. people went by there the song started playing and the guy that signed us to A&M told us um, we had uh, done a couple of showcases and we used to have this crazy warehouse in Memphis where we do these parties all the time and so we invited all the record people to come there and we created a little VIP area for them where nobody would know we told them to come early and we put them up in the top of the building Mm-hmm. Uh, by the soundboard and stuff and, uh, and then they just organically caught us in our habitat you know wow. it was our rehearsal room and people just came in they drugged like lawn chairs they had their coolers we had five gallon buckets sitting around so they didn't burn the freaking building down so like, put <laughs> cigarettes up. and the people watched and we ended up getting there was a bidding war for the band like five or six labels that were there and but the guy that signed us to A&M he told us he said I knew I was going to sign y'all because he goes I went and jumped in my rent-a-car to come see you guys and I turned the radio on and Phantom Rider was on the radio your
1: so
2: cool that's awesome man you know, yeah. did, he was a
1: great guy did, do you still have your leather jacket from uh, your uh, walking shoes video?
3: I definitely do man mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome awesome some of the things in you know in the wardrobe stuff or videos and things might slip through your fingers, but I I hung on to that one. I didn't I didn't let them take that one back. I got it and kept it. And uh, you know when my children have like eighties day at school or when they do, <laughs> I was like, hey, I got something in the attic. You right. Yeah. That's
1: no some of, some of the tours yeah. that you you guys went on, um, I, I did actually get the I, I caught the one you guys came with the Kane's ballroom. It was the dangerous toys la guns tour and i believe i'm not for sure but was Sha- uh, shark island were they ever on some of the some of the shows because i thought it was shark well, island tour tour in la guns here at, here in at, uh in tulsa but i can-
3: maybe that's a great i know for sure excuse me for about eight weeks we went with dangerous toys and la guns and it was one of my favorite tours ever number one the dangerous toys guys, they were from Texas. So we kind of had that Southern thing going on <laughs> and we just clicked with them right away. And I'm, I still talk to Jason periodically. Now His voice is still amazing. He's super talented, just a, a super dude. Um, I'm not kidding. We did a uh, rock timber last year and you know, there was a lot of protocol and safety and mask and all that where, which was kind of, I doing a festival outdoor thing, but anyway, they were there and we were like, man, I don't care what kind of protocol I'm going in and hug that dude. And you know, get to see them for a second. Um, But man, that tour, that LA Guns one was so awesome. We started off in like Dayton, Ohio. And I remember people knocked on the door at the hotel and they said, hey, they want everybody to come down uh, into the lobby at seven o'clock. And it was like the night before the, the tour was starting or whatever. And we were like, oh, you know, I wonder what they're doing. They must be going over like protocol or something. Well, anyway, we walked in and all the LA gun guys were there, their crew and everybody. And they just had their drinks up in there. And they just said, man, get ready for the best time of your life. We're just going to have a ball for the next eight weeks.
2: That's so cool. And it
3: was so cool. They were so nice to us. And they were, you know, pretty established. They had been running pretty hard by the point that we bumped into them. And uh, that was during the uh
1: cocked and loaded
3: yeah yeah cock and loaded excuse me the, that record so that and i mean they were blowing up the ballad of jane was blowing out um we were playing these theaters all over the country that was amazing mm-hmm. and you know i can just see it now it's so vivid i can remember playing venues like uh the the theater down in atlanta i think it was the fox theater where there was like right. stars on the ceiling like you're indoors but there's like a sky painted and it was like clouds i remember like playing fan and i looked up and like clouds were going across the oh, ceiling that's so I was like, cool. oh my god it's is like i'm outside right now this is crazy <laughs> so i new. mean it was just it was so fun uh and we see those guys periodically now you know when they're out on tours or something we'll bump into them but but jason and them i definitely have kept up with him i, I followed him he had that broken teeth thing going i was following some of that stuff he was doing yeah and we'll just call each other just to catch up and just, you know, vent and talk about the industry and how everything's changing. And, you know, it's so exciting now in that entertainment world for the generation that's coming along. We're at a point in history that we've never been before with the, the technology the way it is and with yeah. resources stuff that are available. They are going to change the world. I mean, literally daily things are happening between legislation and platforms and apps and all these things that are going on. I mean, it's it's so exciting now because we see all the potential. You know, it's kind of like we've lived in in two different worlds, man. With the the physical realm getting, you know, morphed out and and everybody going into this digital world that we're hanging in onto now. Uh, it just gets me so excited about all the new people that are coming out and the opportunity they're going to have, man. I mean, they're they're a storefront, they're a brand. You know, instantly, man, the, the second that you had go on the internet, mm-hmm. that's it, man. You're out there and now you're just driving and trying to get people to pay attention. So, But can I ask it, you
2: something uh, about that? I'm I, 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 As I was reading your bio, I can tell that you embrace this change and, and you're you're a champion of it. Is there any part of you that thinks because of this change that it's actually making it harder for an artist to break through because the field is so saturated now?
3: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. Um, it, it's so much competition. I mean, look, think about it, man. Everybody that we're talking to, time is our biggest asset, right? Yeah. It, that's the one thing that nobody gets back or whatever. And we're trying to vie for somebody's time. We have to, for from a resource side, if, if they're gonna pay attention to me, are they gonna share some of my information? Word of mouth, you know, that's like the most credible, priceless piece of marketing that you can do. Uh, it is harder, but it's also, there. it's kind of like talking out of two sides of your mouth when you're talking about this. It is harder because we can all create content, we can right. all distribute content, and but there's that middle part of promoting and marketing yourself, and you need funding to do a lot of the things that you wanna do. So if you're an independent artist and you're doing it, you're gonna have limited resources, so you're gonna maybe have to figure out a way to raise financing, crowdfunding, whatever those things look like, what you're comfortable with. Um, but then the other side of that is, from the physical side of this, when we were talking about you know, how we grew up and stuff with records and stuff, um, the harder part you're talking about is we're getting paid smaller royalty rates than we did a long time ago, right? right? And that everybody's upset about that. Legislation's happening. We, we did get an increase this year, and from 24 to 27, we're gonna get an increase in, in streaming royalty, so we're moving in the right direction. It took them 15 years, you know, <laughs> I think that passed in 2018, yeah. Then those big platforms said, wait a second, this is a, a sustainable model. If we increase you by 44%, we're not going to be able to fund our, you know, keep our funding going. But the other side of this is a long time ago, I, I sold a record to you and then you went, and made copies and did whatever you wanted to. And I never, I only had one transaction with you. Yeah. You could go do anything you went to, I never participated in that. But now we have a long tail. We're tracking every time that you're playing my song. Sure. And from the other side of it, when we were starting out as little kids, we had street dates where we said, I need to get everybody I can on this one day to buy my record.
0: Mm-hmm. And that
3: was kinda like your big I'm gonna get on the chart. I'm gonna this is my story, you know, the story that you're creating with, within the industry and within the fans. And but now it's about a long tail. It's like I don't need everybody. I just need people paying attention to go on me on this journey and, mm-hmm. and as I'm putting music out to go and help me promote it. They become your marketing and, and uh, promotional staff and it's super hard what you said a minute ago is yeah i mean i really feel like it and and to us we're hadn't we have to get acclimated to this to you know the generations after us it's like kind of ingrained in them they're already tech savvy and they're you know, know we didn't have all this stuff we were out knocking on doors and uh, you know trying to make stuff happen so yeah, it, sure. it is harder but i think it's good man the, the, the competition believe,
4: and stuff is i believe good. in it 1989 I was, I was i believe in like well i think maybe 19 uh, one of those bands i was promoting one of your songs i think it was i was playing a song i think was it? guilty guilty i think yeah oh yeah yeah i remember covering guilty and that was a fun so song you, to play. so you owe anthony I, I owe you some royalties That's man right. i can't believe I it up, buddy. <laughs> well hey
3: listen that was a really cool experience there was a guy named tom DeLuca that came to memphis he came down from nashville uh, a&m had set up a co-write for us and we were really um we were kind of standoffish about people outside of our circle like the guy thomas i talked to you about was kind of like part of our family man he was just hanging around all the time and so we were kind of used to being around each other but this kind of this new guy showed up and it was from the record company i'll never forget it and we were at the studio in memphis And we kind of really didn't want to go in the room with him. And honestly, if I'm just being totally candid with y'all, I think it was because we didn't really have a lot of confidence. We were kind of worried and we were like, we don't know. We know how it works with us, but we're not going to know what it's going to feel like to have an outsider in the circle. And so we kind of just did a standoff. like We're we're not going to go in there. We're kind of being shit, excuse me. But (laughs) we kind of were. And, but then it came around, Keith and I were sitting there and we go, man, he's, he came down to here, you know, as we were kind of, I mean, nobody knew this conversation was going on. I'm just telling you guys, but we were kind of, you know, huddled up and talking and we said, man, he's here. Let's just go see what's going on. Let's just talk to him and hang out with him. He seems like a really nice guy. Mm -hmm. And man, we went in there and I'm not kidding. It was one of the coolest experiences. And we could just kick ourselves, you know, after that, we are like, man, why haven't we been doing this more and like learning from other people? Mm -hmm. You know, you kind of find out a lot of things about yourself when you do co-writing. And whenever I'm talking to people, I always say, man, try to write with as many people as you can, because you always learn something, even if it's something about yourself, about a strength that you have, or something that's a weakness that you go, man, I really need to focus on this part. I'm kind of sucking at this part. Uh, You start learning things about yourself and you learn things about their techniques, and their cadence and the way they put rhyming together, the way they put the melodies, arrangements, all those kind of things, it makes it really exciting. Mm-hmm. And it's so cool because, man, everybody's unique. Like this, it blows my mind. It's so, it's so powerful. Everybody kind of looks at things different because of their life experience, their perspective, mm-hmm. their creativity, their critical thinking skills. All those things come into play, and you go, wow. There's nobody like you, really. Like mm-hmm. individually, and when you said here, you go, man, I just grabbed this little nugget. Of knowledge and information from this person sure. it's just really powerful yeah. you know and i think you, you have to do it kind of over and over especially i got into music publishing for a while up here in nashville uh where i was setting up the co-writes and stuff where i was dealing with creative people and it was really funny they didn't even know i was a singer or anything i was just working at a, a company i was sitting at a desk and they're like what is this idiot talking about he's in there at the desk yeah. they didn't know i had been singing and all that kind of stuff but i would i would set them up with rights and stuff and i'm like hey man just go in there and and just relax man just go in there and kind of face this thing and go in there and the more you do it you kind of build your your confidence so i think a lot of that comes from and especially just from an artist's perspective you go in and you go man i don't want to go in and say something really silly or it's off or yeah. whatever and make myself look bad or something right. but really there's no bad idea if you don't say that thing then the conversation doesn't go in some other direction that so you start realizing that. i think you get over being self-conscious i guess is what i was sure. trying to say. I mean,
4: I'm buried. curious, just as to some as so, how does your lyrical content differ in like 30 years? You know, are you, are you still writing about the same stuff you wrote uh, when you were 20 something years old, or where does it come from now? Because I, I want th- every- I'm asking because as I I look back, I try to write lyrics now, and of course, I don't do some of the things that I used to do and write <laughs> about. So, um, yeah. you know what I mean. So I try yeah. to find different areas to 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 draw those lyrics from. Well, what, you, you got yeah. to write about house payments, right? House payments <laughs> yeah. and catar and in old people stuff, Cataracts. right? Cataracts and Matlock. <laughs> yeah,
3: no, man. You know, I mean, I think every song is different. How you get, in, excuse me, how you get inspired? Sometimes it's it's the melody part of it. Sometimes it's just something you hear somebody say. You're scribbling around on a napkin or something, singing in your car, you know, on the way to work. Uh, but like content-wise, you know, I think at the beginning we were inspired by a bunch of like the classic rock kind of people, you know, Aerosmith and bad company Mm -hmm. and Led Zeppelin and stuff like that. That Which is partying
4: and girls basically. Yeah.
3: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, we still kind of have that, that aspect. I mean, there's still those celebration things like trip to light. Fantastic. It's definitely about us getting together and celebrating and just, you know, I think we're going to go for a long time after COVID. I think there'll be some kind of after effect that people, some kind of, you know, I don't know. That we realize what just happened. I think we're all still trying to process all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But we still feel the same way it, about us getting together, about celebrating. You know, I think that was one thing about Phantom Rider that kind of carried, as people talk about it being nostalgic or whatever, that it was just about celebrating life and that you don't, one person doesn't realize how much you affect other people, man. Not getting all weird, like the it's a wonderful life thing or something, but it really is true the effect that you have on other people and we get inspired by those stories i mean our fans and the things that we do on the road and stuff the first record we didn't really we hadn't been anywhere we hadn't done a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. and it was you know a lot of focusing on getting the girl and all that stuff Mm -hmm. but when we did wild america we had been on the road for like two years we were scratching on napkins singing into you know little handheld tape recorders and we had a little four track we were traveling around the country in and we were documenting a lot of stuff so I think we shifted a lot uh, between the first record and the second record just because we gained some confidence. not I don't mean that in a weird way to sound like cocky or something. I think we just got better on our instruments. Sure. Sure. Keith and them got really tight uh, and, and Patrick and John just got locked in. And you know there was a, there was kind of a learning curve on that first record. and we're so indebted. There was uh, Paul Leson that I mentioned earlier. Joe Hardy worked on that first record with us. He had done a bunch of those ZZ top records. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Eliminator and you know all those songs, right. and man, those guys. We went in and recorded, and then we went out of the room. You know, we went next door and drank margaritas or whatever. And we came back in. We're like, oh my god, who's that man? <laughs> this is so amazing. This wow. sounds so killer. And That's so we're still really proud of that first record. And uh, but there definitely was a shift, I think, between that first one and the second one, just because we got more experience.
1: Yeah, and I in America, that
3: our topics shifted because we kind of got a broader view we had gone out and had some you know and so when you say now you know what is it like when we went in to write bastards of bill it had been 25 years or something since we let wow. music wow. out we were kind of in the same mindset that you're asking that question we we're like what is this even going to be like i mean you
0: <laughs> who know,
4: are we now
3: So <laughs> excited because when we walked in when we walked in we did it like we did a long time ago when we were little kids we took a, a blank poster board and just stuck it on the wall and we put in dummy titles oh, for wow. the riffs and stuff that we had like this one sounds like Jimi Hendrix this sounds like mm-hmm. a Zeppelin and this <laughs> sounds, right. you know like everybody does it's your rehearsal room when you're a little kid but when we all started playing we just went oh man this is what it's gonna feel like it just mm-hmm. feels like it's us, man it's, it's Keith on guitars Patrick playing drum uh playing bass it's John on drums and that's the sound. That's the Torah thing. And I'll never forget it. The guy that produced that record was uh, his name was Je- uh, Jeff Powell. He's another family member person. He had been an assistant engineer on Wild America years ago. You know, he was an up and coming engineer. He runs uh, Sam Phillips Recording uh, in in uh, Memphis now. Uh, and if your listeners and uh, people watching don't know about Sam Phillips, you need to look him up. He, he found some people like Howlin' Wolf and Roy and J. Lee mm-hmm. Lewis, a guy named Elvis he's really he was amazing
4: not costello Uh, yeah
3: yeah not costello Uh, but anyway jeff had reached out to us and he said he saw us do a benefit for patrick and um patrick had had a health issue uh, back in 2016 and so we got together to help with some medical bills and stuff and he told me he said i watched your show uh out in the audience and he said it was something about when you four of you guys got up there, there had been a lot of people sitting in all day and playing sets and all that. And he said, it just, it's y'all, man. It's the four of y'all when y'all get up there together. A sound. He said, do you want to come and record a couple of songs with me? And uh, it was really funny because when he was a little kid, he was the guy that got locked in the studio with us. When everybody would leave the studio, yeah, he had to stay with us to make sure we didn't record over the master recordings or what they go. <laughs> you can play anything you want to, but don't push the red button over here. And I mean, we would be in there just twisting knobs and turning oh, stuff wide up. And he would stay all night some mornings people would start coming in and getting coffee to go to their office and stuff and we had been in there all night with him and he had to go oh. into a session the next morning you know wow, and we nice. were still in there going yeah
0: hey, man this is awesome <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs>
2: funny
3: so anyway we drove him nights a long time ago but he was uh he told us he said do you want to come and do it and at the time frontiers had reached out to us about recording and we said man you're not gonna believe this we don't want to do just one or two songs we want to come record a whole project with you that's great and it was awesome but man going back to your question about how we write now I think we're inspired uh, by a lot of different things I mean that you know the power of love and things like that that we talked about where they mean something so much there's so much more uh, heaviness and Substance and stuff to those kind of conversations. After sure. you know, having a wife and kids and yeah. family growing up, and I mean, <laughs> just because you're 50
1: doesn't mean that love's no longer a bitch. You know, no, no it's still a bitch. Definitely
3: not, not <laughs> at all, man. Yeah, you hit, hit that on the head for sure. But it's it's uh, a, yeah, I think it just means different things to us. We're inspired by a lot of different things, and right. we always kept trying to grow. You know, we as a creative person, you want to keep the thing that has resonated with the audience, Yeah, but there's also that part of you that goes, you know, I don't want to write walking shoes five times over. Sure. I want to go and do, you know, something, I want to try some different things and go different places, and especially lyrically and stuff like that. Moving here to Nashville had a really big effect on me, for sure, from a songwriter standpoint. We didn't really spend a lot of time in Nashville when we were early in our career. We worked with a guy named Taylor Rhodes, who had produced and written songs with Kicks, And he also had written uh, "Crying" with Aerosmith. And so A&M set us up a a few trips up here. And he wrote Amnesia with us. He wrote Faith Healer, the two singles off our uh, Wild America record.
1: Yeah, great album.
3: it really opened us up. You know, I was telling you all before, we were kind of protective before. And I think that was just, we were insecure about our abilities and stuff. But as we started opening up and came up here, he really started teaching us about writing. He was a great influence, Uh, Stan Lynch. Uh, from Tom Petty and Heartbreakers, he wrote "Nowhere to Go But Down" with us, uh, "Time in the Tide," um, "Rescue Me." We we wrote a bunch of songs with him too, and that they were just really, you know, successful. They were they had kind of been doing enough. They had uh, you know chops and things to teach us. And then it, when I went into it from a corporate standpoint, like working at publishing companies and stuff, and I was dealing with writers and stuff, looking at it from you know, a monetary standpoint, it, it kind of shifted it. Like I was watching people out there. It was really a craft.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
3: to me, I'm really foreign to the idea of just going in clocking in and writing a song every day. Sure. Like, yeah. you know, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee and I'm going to sit in the room and I'm going to come in and I'm going to do something. So, and I just went, <laughs> this is so weird. Like yeah. I want to be inspired. I want to look the sky, you know, I wanna, somebody affect me or in some way or mm-hmm. something spiritually going on. But man, it was like a machine. And, but as I watched, I was like, wow, this is really incredible. There was a, a guy up here named Roger Springer that I met. He was about my age. And he got signed to a publishing company. And we started talking and we kind of had similar backgrounds. He had had two record deals, he was a killer singer. We were totally opposites. He was like a Texas swing country dude. And I, you know, I was a heavy metal guy. But I asked him, I heard him playing one day, you know, waiting for somebody to come in the room. And, He played these most beautiful love songs, and I just walked in there and said, hey man, does anybody ever talk to you about the craft of songwriting? I mean, does anybody, and he goes, no man, people just show up here and they're clocking in and we're kind of writing songs. And I said, I want to take you to lunch and talk to you about it. And I asked him about that, and he had been doing it for so long. When I had him at lunch, he said, man, when somebody's talking to me about writing, he goes, it's like a freaking blueprint of a house. Mm-hmm. unfolds. And he goes, I know where the kitchen's going. I know where the cat, you know, bedroom, the living room. Right. He, he said, I already got kind of a setup of how I'm going to approach it. And he goes, most of the time I have some line that's been laying around that has to do with the topic. They walk in. With. And so I kind of get the thing started. And he just really kind of, I became really good friends with him because I would go out to his house. I couldn't write with him at work because it was a conflict of interest for my job. But I told him, I said, Hey, I got some paperwork. I need you to sign. Can I come out to your you know, your house out of town at your farm or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And we wrote songs together. It was really fun, man. It, it was totally different approach than anything that I'd ever done. But he taught me a lot. You know, I, I felt kind of indebted to him because he shared a lot of his knowledge about how he had done it, how he came along. So it's just so incredible, man. Music is so powerful. It's one of the most yeah, powerful for sure. forces I've ever run into. I
1: so yeah, after, your, after your L.A. Guns tour with Dangerous uh, Toys, then you went on with Warrant. And which was yeah. probably a big, you know, bigger venues there, and then you know with Lynch Mob, and and then you, I guess, the Grunge, you know, era was 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 amongst us at that point, and you actually had uh, Allison Chains uh, do some shows with you guys. What was That's a trip? <laughs> I mean, share some memories that you had with with you know with Janie Lane and you know uh, Lane Staley,
3: man the warrant guys were awesome i think lynch mob was on that with us back at that time uh and we had we had just such a great time they were just first class to us the whole time we were out hustling man um really just trying to we were trying to stay busy on the road at that point um the shift was kind of coming you know it hadn't all the way come in yet but uh i remember playing with them you know like the Chattanooga the, where the basketball people play up to college and stuff and man the crowds were great it was mm-hmm. awesome it was so fun and um, they were just a good time we didn't we never really transplanted out to the strip to Hollywood we always stayed based out of Memphis so they were kind of seeing those guys Ellie Guns and Warrant and all those guys that was really fun for us to get to hang with them and kind of mm-hmm. do the the tours with them and all sure. that but they were always super cool uh, we still bump into some of those guys now you know when we did M3 we were there at the same time same days with them and um, and I always enjoyed getting to play with them, um, but it's always, uh, always great to see crazy.
4: the survivors, huh?
3: Yeah, man, that's right. The survivors of, man, of, the, killer, of, the, of the biz, super, super down to earth. And uh, but man, the thing about the Alice and Chains stuff, man, I've talked about this before. A lot of people said, you know, did y'all, you know, hate the grunge people because they, you know, killed your rock and roll or what whatever. What year was
4: this with Alice and Chains?
3: That was probably. I'm trying to figure out
4: what tour of theirs this is.
3: That might have been like in the early 90s. It would have been around 90-something, hmm. I think. But yeah. we saw them multiple times. Uh, we did some shows with them. I think it was Spokane and um, maybe Seattle. I am not. I can't remember if it was Seattle. It was in the Northwest for sure. But uh, when we played with them, we didn't really think of it as a grunge thing. Like we saw them and we were like, man, they kind of sound like Black Sabbath. They're kind of heavy <laughs> rock. But they mm-hmm. were super down to earth. I mean, I remember walking in, and they uh so it must have been early '90s because I remember walking in, and their their t-shirts were on the wall, and we were going, "Alice in Chains." I wonder what they're going to be like, because we met different bands every night, and uh, I couldn't stay; I was still underage, so it would have been '89, something like that,
0: '89,
3: '90, because I had to, I could do sound check, and then I had to leave. I, <laughs> I would look through the window, and all my bands, and in there like,
4: "So that would have been their like their first tour." Man. Wow. Yeah. Uh,
3: and man, we stayed friends with them. They recorded in with A and M at the A and M studio. We were out there doing press and stuff. And uh, I remember they came up one time, and uh, Lane was hanging out of a car. He was like, he was up in the window, you know, riding on the car. And he came up, and uh, he had a baseball hat on, and it had dreadlocks in it. And he came, he came up. They were hollering and stuff as they come across the parking lot, and he goes, "Hey, man, how do you like my haircut?" And when he did it, he grabbed his hat and he spun his head his hat around and all of his hair went with it and when he took it (laughs) off he had short hair he had sewn his hair into a baseball cap
2: oh my gosh that's That's crazy crazy.
3: yeah (laughs) (laughs) and we also we saw him in memphis they came through this must have been early because they were doing a club date uh he had broke his ankle and so he had they had a big couch i think it was purple. that they put on stage and he went out and like stuck his leg up on the thing and sat on the couch and sang the whole set but man y'all I gotta be honest with y'all his voice was freaking incredible man. he is oh. he like is, it, he it, it is my all time
4: favorite rock singer man yeah,
3: yeah he's great. man I'm serious he was so powerful man and just super down to earth they were just really cool cats Um it was really I guess we were seeing them right before they really got huge man because mm-hmm. I think they came through after that they were on all the Coliseums and all that you know opening yeah, yeah. for other yeah. people and everything but they were really nice and um you know it's hard sound garden was on our, our label with us you know so we kind of interacted we would see those guys every once in a while or I, chris came to memphis and sang on some stuff at the studio we were working out um
4: that's so cool you're one of the rare stories straight singers man i mean yeah you're one of the rare stories though you got to hang out with the you know because most of the 80s bands that hung out together didn't get hang out with the 90s bands and you kind of got the best of the you kind of got hung out with the you know both worlds there so that's kind of cool you know what's
1: what's also amazing about you guys is you know the fact that you guys got to host headbangers ball and Uh, then you're also (laughs) on bill and ted's uh Adventure. What was it? Excellent Uh, adventure. Excellent adventure. You had a song on there. I mean, those are two major milestones that you know when when we were growing up and we're playing in our young bands. With you know, definitely two things: have a song on a kick-ass movie, and then also (laughs) you know be able to host Headbangers Ball, you know, and be able to do all that. You know, it
3: was so crazy. We watched. Excuse me, like everybody did every weekend, and it was like one weekend we were sitting there watching it and we looked up and walking shoes was on there and we Jeez. went, Oh my God, they're playing our video. <laughs> wow. And the next thing we knew, uh, a I mean, Soundgarden was exploding. They, they gave them a lot of leverage. And they said, uh, you know, you guys should go, uh, to MTV. You're, we're going to introduce you. And I'll, I'll never forget it, man. When we met Adam Curry and stuff, we were just like freaking wow. out. Adam and we were Curry. like, Oh my God, we watch this guy every weekend. And we're sitting here <laughs> across from him and, his hair. and we didn't know if we were going to be able to talk or not. And then, uh, they invited us back to do uh, the hard 60. We got to do that in the afternoon when yeah, were, yeah. and stuff. So, you know, on that round, by that time it, it was, we were kind of, we weren't totally not nervous, but we were like, okay, we kind of know what the, what it's going to feel like or whatever to be there. We were so nervous the first time we were just, we didn't know what we we're going to do. We were just, but it was so fun and they were always cool. And we got to go in there a couple of times. We went on there with Adam Curry and then we went back. Ricky was hosting the course and line friend was there. He did a really great, um, review of our Wild America record when it came out that we just, we we're still, I saw him at M3 not too long ago and was telling him how That's much, cool. wow. you know, all these years later how much that meant to us um, but man, it was just, you know it's been an amazing adventure but yeah. we still feel like we got a lot of things that we want to do and, sure. and music and all that kind of stuff, we still feel you know, inspired man, we're still yeah. we still love it as much as we ever did So and, and, and you know,
1: we're, we're running a little bit short but I did want to touch on on the fact of your, your your third album. And I believe that was an album that you were, um, what was it, Revolution? Um, mm-hmm.
3: Revolution you, Day?
1: Yeah. And yeah. you were, was Tom Worman the producer of that album? And it-
3: He was. And yeah. it eventually, just, it, they just
1: shelved it, correct?
3: Man, they shelved it. Yeah, we we had worked on that record probably for a year and a half. And like every record, we wrote about probably 60 or 70 songs for each one of those projects. And you whittle it down to about 20, and then it starts getting serious, you know, about protecting your <laughs> ones mm-hmm. that you want to make it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but Tom was awesome, man. He was killer. I'll never forget it because it was one of the worst ice storms that ever hit Memphis. Uh, it, it came through, and he totally freaked out, man. I mean, like the city was losing power. He was worried about his hotel and stuff. And uh, But he was such a legend and just so cool. He went out to a bunch of the hockey talks with us, you know, the the late night venues to see all the the local musicians. And you know, Memphis is like kind of like Nashville, man. Any kind of like little hole in the wall you walk in down there, it's just people that can just tear the strings off guitars and they sure. sing and everything. And so Tom had a ball, man. We took him to all the little haunts that we knew about, and introduced him to people that were just, you know, local musicians that were just blowing up, you know, just killing it. And so I think he enjoyed that part of it. We were we were really disappointed. Uh, that record didn't get to come out. And, um, you know, the hard part for us was we were super busy for about six years. And then when they kind of pulled the plug on that, the record deal was gonna go away. Mm -hmm. And we knew, like in the scheme of things, our our A&R guy had worked with Extreme and Soundgarden and we were his third band. Mm -hmm. Um, So he had had a lot of success and Interscope at the time had come to him and asked him if he would come and do A&R for them. Mm-hmm. And we were tied to a contract with A&M. We couldn't go with him. We didn't have a, an exit out of that contract. And uh, he said, I'm moving. And and it was hard because he was kind of our champion. He was our voice into the, the corporate wheel. And there was another A&R guy that showed up. He was super cool. He was very nice, but he wasn't invested the same way that the original guy was Mm -hmm. and uh and we kind of knew that so we started making phone calls we were like get the memphis horns get the backup singers get (laughs) that i mean we just started just getting everybody we could we said man we better record everything that we can right now because we feel like they're going to pull us you know pull the plug on this thing sure and we did we had some great recording sessions we had a good time and um unfortunately that record didn't get to come out we got access to some of the demos that people have heard now that we've, you know, had, had let out at a later time. Cause I, I think some of those demos got out. Um,
1: this wasn't well, is really like an dip- auction or something, an online I, I auction a, that someone spent like yeah. a whole bunch of money for like some, some sort of a master tapes or something for that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think he had a whole box. It wasn't just us, it was all kind of. Uh, Rock people in there, but we did end up getting control of those things. But you know, contractually, you can't really do anything that stuff. Yeah, I
1: bet you guys were just completely heartbroken. You know, all that work, and then you know that just sorry, guys, we're we're just gonna have to move on. It's like, well, what about the albums? Like, we don't want to invest in it right now because
2: because grunge, grunge.
1: You know, basically (laughs) because Kurt
4: Cobain.
3: Uh, Yeah, it was hard, man. I think the hardest part was just we were so busy for those about six years we were just running wide open and then it kind of cooled off man when rec- when the record label was starting to step away it was hard and mm-hmm. i mean i remember uh keith was at a point our guitar player where he was going to take a break he was getting ready his son was getting ready to be born and we just said hey we've always been in the you know mindset of you know if you need to step away or whatever let's just catch up when we catch up and i was thinking it was going to be a few weeks down the road i'd see everybody and yeah. honestly, it was years before the four of us yes. got in a room together again.
1: Well, I I'm think not... it's, I think it's a great thing though, that your bass player was able to survive cancer. Yes, yes, um, yes. Yeah, I, you know, I wanted to mention that and, um, yeah,
3: man. the fact that amazing. you guys
1: were on, uh, the monsters of rock cruises and you're up there having a good time doing ACDC covers and just, just hang, hanging out and partying with everybody. Uh, you yeah, know, I man. think I know I, I the sky's the limit. It's still the limit for you guys. Yeah, you know, there's just...
2: something I want to say, Anthony, before we before we let you go. This has been the fastest hour ever. Yeah, um, took it by quick. You have been an absolute pleasure to deal with. Uh, very, very courteous in in your email exchanges, and I want you to know how much that means to us because a lot of people in this industry. Have really big heads. I know you know that, and there's a lot of egos out there. And and someone even Jim Mullet watching tonight in the chat room talked about how humble you are, and you know, truly, truly, you are one of the nice guys in rock and roll. Absolutely. I'm so glad that Tor is still relevant and active, and we just we want to wish you all the best, um, and definitely stay in touch with us and let us know how we can help uh, push and promote you guys. We're definitely on your side.
3: Well, man, thank y'all so much for giving me a platform and a voice out to everybody. I appreciate it so much. And uh, we can't wait for y'all to hear the new music. We And we're looking forward to seeing you out on the road with shows. Uh, keep your ears open. I'm headed up to the Northeast, uh, October 13th, 14th, and 15th. I'll be up there with Tony Harnell. We're doing some acoustic toast together. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think the third night, we're going to have Mr. Ted Polis jumping on with us over in New Jersey. Um, And then the Torah show coming up in Memphis. Please watch for that on our social media. You can find us at TorahToramusic.com. You can find (laughs) us on all the social media outlets. Uh it's us on there. We'd love to hear from you and talk to you. And uh man, I just appreciate y'all uh give me a little bit of time to talk to you.
4: Hey, we guys. need some Toro oh, Toro in Tulsa, Oklahoma.
2: Yeah, come back to Tulsa. Sometime. Yes, man, we gotta get over there, man. Yes.
1: Some of the it's comments some of the viewer comments. Uh, Elizabeth Talcott says, fantastic interview. Keep rocking. Um, Leslie Bailey says, Don't ever give up. Oh,
0: thank um,
1: you. What a cool guy. Great stories. Um a lot of people have a lot of good things to say about you um you know if you have the opportunity to you know maybe share the stream on your page or whatever let other viewers check it out that'd be appreciated but we need to get keith to grow out his hair he looks like he still can still have a a full head of hair if you just let it grow out (laughs) i mean you still got your long hair
3: oh man that's funny i'll have to i'll get him to watch this Listen, to you guys, tell
1: him this. <laughs> <laughs> he he's, he can grow it. You know, drummer not so much, but you know we can yeah. <laughs> get we definitely we can get Keith to grow it back out.
4: Sure, sure. <laughs> hey, technology's come a long way. You can do anything you want, <laughs>
2: including grow. That's hair, right. right, right, right? Man. Yes, That's oh, right. man. Hey, you're the best, Anthony. We really appreciate you being on Tulsa Music Stream tonight. All the best. Stay in touch with us.
3: Awesome, man. You guys have a great night. Thank, y'all Thank you all so again for much,
1: having me. Man.
2: Thanks, buddy. You too. We'll see you see guys. It. Check, check very, him out
1: on his YouTube stream Sunday sunset. Sessions, right?
2: Is that what it's Ooh. called? Yeah, yeah. Okay. S- Sunday Thank sessions. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, bud. Have a great night. All right, he's out. Appreciate you, man. Okay, good one. Good one. Yeah, yeah. that was so cool. That you, was, you know,
1: I can't remember, but I remember when the L- the L.A. Guns thing, and someone said that it, that they were. Somewhere at the fairgrounds, you know, and I'm I remember it was the cabaret theater, but I don't think it was the cabaret theater where I've seen them. Maybe they came back with dangerous toys, but I really think when I saw them was LA Guns, Tora Tora, and Shark Island. And I got that was the one I got thrown out of because I was underage and I was, had a beer in my what hand. What did you not get? Or, thrown oh, well, out of? I was over, I was, I think I was of age, I just didn't have an ID.
2: Mm, that's a problem. But we, we really are very appreciative of Anthony's time. Um, if you came in late to the stream, uh, you can catch the replay. You can always see all of our streams uh, on replay. If you go yep. to Tulsa Music Stream on Facebook, check out the videos.
1: Yeah, we are on YouTube. Uh, we're on Twitter, and we're on Twitch as well as Facebook. Get on the, any of those platforms and check our streams out. Um, you know, We have a huge list of all of our previous guests, from everyone from Rudy Sarzo Lita Ford to um, you know Nickelback to you yeah to me yeah <laughs> so there's a lot of cool stuff on there um just check it out and hit subscribe on on, on all that stuff and you know our Facebook page it just was able to um, change up its um format now I wasn't able really able to like send out invites only every now and then it'd let me but now I think there's a an, an invite. Uh, button on there or a like button and so if you haven't liked our page yet please do so
4: be sure to share it too
2: yeah we appreciate that matt Lemieux, thanks for that hookup with anthony too we appreciate you thank you to our sponsors uh, Oki pc identity merch deb concerts we appreciate your support of the stream we do have two more shows coming up we've got a lot stacked up here in october we're going to be back on the air in five days tuesday october 11th at 8 p.m Steve Brown of Trickster will be on with us, and then a week after that, we have rescheduled Mark Kendall from Great White. He will be on with us Tuesday, October 18th at 8 p.m., and we would certainly be remiss if we did not mention the passing of our friend Mike Jamison, Mikey J. We want to send our thoughts and prayers to, to all of his friends and family, and uh, we certainly are going to miss him. A lot of us have a lot of special memories with Mikey, Absolutely. and uh, we just want to send our thoughts. Out there, um, we're thinking about him and all you guys tonight that, that loved him. Gotta Teresa, have...
1: when I don't think we got her on the no, camera,
2: no, no, let's say hi. Hey, girl, hi, you took your glasses off. That's exactly I what did. I do. You know what, we should do, Teresa? What should we do? Let's I, ju-
1: I got mine on,
2: okay. We're gonna put ours on too, and someday all nine will put his on. Yeah, well, not nine, he's he doesn't do that. No, I don't do that, but now we look smart. Do I look smart?
4: Yeah, okay. yeah, you look absolutely everybody looks really smart how was everyone's week <laughs> smart smart
2: my week was smart. yeah was
4: smart week it was a smart week yeah I have yeah. a smartphone, a smart car <laughs> yeah. what are some
1: of your guys' experiences with uh, Tora Tora did you ever go see them live or yeah have, I saw did you have I,
4: their album man I saw them somewhere opening for somebody I just can't place who hmm. maybe, maybe I didn't a long time. I don't know yeah it's been a long time and that was a lot of well you
1: know. I did get to see them at the Rocklahoma show which was uh you know other than the, the 80s yeah and that was it was a really good show um that was in 2008 you know that was back when it rocklahoma is just 80s yeah just had came it. out man right so yeah. it was a it was a phenomenal lineup that year it had like armored saint
4: and a bunch yeah. of cool bands man it was pho Nah ma yep yeah.
2: yep yep so if you guys do not have anything else We we will sign off for the evening. Yes. Yeah, thank you
1: guys for tuning in, and I appreciate each and every one of you. And thank you, for everyone, for sending stars. Um, They're always always there for you to keep sending. Yep. And we appreciate each and every
2: one of them. We'll see you guys next Tuesday, October 11th at 8 p.m. when we talk to Steve Brown of Trickster. Have a great five days. We'll see you very soon. Take care.